We are in our series uh, that we are looking at the Minor Prophets. Uh, again, I want to encourage you uh, to read the Minor Prophets with me uh, as we work through this series. Uh, as we lead into Advent, which is the season around Christmas, uh, I wanted us to spend a few weeks looking at the scriptures that lead up to uh, we jump to the Christmas story, but we don't often think about the stories that come in Scripture that lead up to. And so the Minor Prophets are the 12 books of the Bible just prior to the start of the New Testament. And so many times people always ask, okay, Minor Prophets, are they less significant than the Major Prophets? And I've said this every week. I'll continue to remind you, this is not a, a theological significance. The Major Prophets... Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel that we read, uh, they are just longer books. Uh, and so because of length, we designate them to be the major prophets. Uh, and so the minor prophets uh, started the book of Hosea and then they work their way down uh, and they're just shorter. So they are more manageable for us to, to read along the way. And so what I'm asking you to do this week, we're going to be looking at the book of Amos. Uh, I'm going to ask you to, to read uh, the story of Amos. What I also find is so many of us, even if we've grown up in the church, we've never taken the time to really look and study and explore what the minor prophets have to say. Uh, we may know a verse from one or two of them. Uh, maybe we have heard a story or two, uh, but the reality is many of us have never really studied in depth. And so as we look at Amos uh, and you read, if you want at, um, during the week to kind of jump into a deeper conversation. Uh, at the end of the service, we'll give you the opportunity to join our Wednesday Bible studies. We have two of them, they're the same, uh, whether it's in the morning or in the evening. And it just allows you the opportunity to kind of uh, explore a little bit more uh, about what the uh, minor prophet may be saying. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Amos. Uh, we're particularly going to start in verse uh, chapter 4 today. And so go ahead and look at Amos chapter 4. And this is, again, just a reminder to you, uh, have your Bibles with you. Uh, if you like to take notes, take notes. Uh, if you're a highlighter, you can highlight certain things. Uh, even when we come back together, uh, we're going to encourage you to bring your Bibles. Again, novel concept, uh, but to bring your Bibles with you to church uh, so that you're able to still take notes. Uh, we do not have the pew Bibles uh, in front of you anymore, and so uh, at least for right now, and so we're encouraging you to bring those Bibles with you. Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, if you will just in the comment section, write in Bible. Uh, we will try to reach out to you and find a way to get you uh, a Bible so that you have one uh, and that you can read along with us. So let's start, if you will, um, chapter 4, verse 12. Scripture says, Truly, Israel, I will act in this way toward you. Therefore, I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, Israel. Now, I can't help, when I read Amos chapter 4, verse 12, I can't help but think of a gentleman that I met when I attended the University of Georgia. Uh, if you ever went to Georgia, uh, I went in the mid-80s. If you went in the mid-80s up till probably only about five or six years ago, uh, you probably know the person called Brother Jed. Uh, Brother Jed was uh, a gentleman that I met. He stood on this brick wall 
uh, that was outside of the bookstore and in between the Tate Center, uh, which is the student center. And you would walk out among your friends and you walk down and there would be Brother Jed standing on the wall and he would be screaming at the top of his lungs, do you know what's going to happen to you if you die tonight? Uh, now... We can talk about effective evangelism if you want to, uh, but the reality was in that moment, most of us students, and you may not like this about your pastor, uh, most of us either made fun of Brother Jed uh, or we ignored Brother Jed. Uh, but when I hear that passage, I think about him because it gets to motive. And I can't question and never have questioned Brother Jed's motive. Amos teaches us that this is an important question to think about. Prepare to meet your God, Israel, Amos is. We don't like to think about death. We don't like to think about what happens to us when we die. But Amos says to Israel, who's not being repentant at the moment, prepare to meet your God. We prepare for everything. I, mean, I just want you to think about our lives. We, we send our children to pre-K so that they can be effectively ready for kindergarten, right? We send them to kindergarten so that they can be ready for elementary school. Elementary prepares them for middle. Middle prepares them for high school. High school tries to prepare them so that they can be ready for college or the workforce. We go to work, what do we prepare for? We prepare for retirement, right? We start thinking about how, what we're gonna do and how we're gonna retire. We prepare for Christmas by thinking about what we're gonna purchase for people or maybe saving up the money or we don't save up the money and we have to prepare to take a financial peace class because we didn't, right? We prepare for everything. This morning, I hope at least in the October to take a Sunday off and get to go hear my son preach at his new church. And so this morning at 7.30, uh, Al Danso, your lay leader, and Suzanne Brown, your church council chair, came early so that they could begin to prepare for a Sunday that is coming in the future when I am not here so that we can make sure that everything goes according to plan. We prepare for everything. And Amos says... Prepare to meet God. How are we preparing to meet God? Now, Amos writes like other prophets do uh, in a way to warn Israel and Judah about coming judgment. He writes before the exile. And one way that you can look as you're reading Amos this week, you can look and see and divide it in two different segments. The first six chapters essentially are the messages of Amos. And so chapters one and chapter two is a message to Israel that increasingly tightens and zeroes in the judgment. You start with the transgressions of Damascus and then it moves to the transgressions of Israel. Chapter three, Amos pleads with them to repent. Chapter four, what we just read, comes when Israel refuses to repent. And so Amos says, because you're refusing to repent, prepare to meet God. Chapter 5 is this funeral song that takes place where God essentially begins to disregard their worship because they're saying one thing but doing another. 
And so finally in chapter 6, his message is one last attention, one last gasp at trying to get Israel's attention and warns the church or warns Israel at the time that they are comfortable and they are at ease. The economy you see is going pretty good. Things seem to be okay and so they seem to be fairly comfortable. If you've got your Bibles, just flip to the sixth chapter because I believe there is a modern day parallel for us. Chapter 6 verse 1 says doom to those resting comfortably in Zion and those trusting in Mount Samaria, the chiefs of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Doom to those resting comfortably in Zion, it says. That's hard to hear because we have to ask ourselves, church, are we comfortable? Are we at ease? I mean, what, what would Amos say to a church that might be more interested in getting together with their friends than they are worried about those people who live in the communities around us who are dying and do not know Jesus Christ? What would Amos say to us? Doom to those resting comfortably in Zion. The first six chapters are messages, and then the last chapters are warnings of that come through visions. And so what we see are these visions, just like we saw in Joel, there's visions of destruction by locusts, and then there's a vision of this all-consuming fire. And then we get three more visions, where it's a vision of a plumb line, vision of a basket of fruit, and a vision of the Lord standing at the altar. And what you'll notice as you read is the first two visions, Amos intercedes and God relents. But then the last three visions, Amos doesn't intercede. And I believe that the significance of this progression is important to us because it shows us that the judgment is certain. So how are we to understand Amos's message? What does he say to us as the church coming out of a pandemic in the year 2020? And I believe it's that passage in chapter 4, verse 12, where Amos pleads with the people of Israel to recognize their sin and be prepared to meet God. See, we can take Amos' message to heart and realize that we have to deal with our individual sins and we have to deal with the sins of the church so that we are prepared to meet God and we are helping others prepare to meet God. Let me suggest to you a few things that we need to know before we meet God. We've all sinned. See, that's the point of chapters one and two. It starts, as I said, outside of Israel and then moves in and zeroes in on Israel. Do you ever notice it's so much easier to talk about the sins of the person sitting in the pew next to you? So much easier to think about somebody else's sin than it is to deal with our own. But we see that it zeroes in and causes us to realize, and we have to nail this down, that sin is against, is an offense against a holy God. And all of us sin. All of us are sinners. And then sin brings consequences. 
That's the point of chapter 3. Through this series of rhetorical questions, Amos drives home this point that there's consequences. For every action, for every action, there is an effect. But as you're reading, I want you to see that there are some good news. There's some good news. Right in the middle is some prophecy that we see in chapter 5. And if you've got your Bibles, just open it up to chapter 5. I want to read just a few of these to you. In verse 4, it says, The Lord proclaims to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. And then in verse 6, Seek the Lord and live, or else God might rush like a fire against the house of Jacob. And in verse 14, Seek good and not evil that you may live. Hate evil. Love good. There's a consequence for every action. We can see this if you want to compare. And you don't have to turn there now, but we will have this on the screen for you. Romans essentially lays out this very same sequence. Many of you have probably grown up in the church. You may have heard of the Roman road. And so let's walk down that road for just a moment, if you will. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We all sin. And then look, there's an effect. Look at what it says in Romans 6, 23. The wages that sin pays are death, but God's gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Paul went a little further than Amos. He gave us the good news, but he is still revealing to us that for every action there is an effect. Because of sin, the consequence is death. But because of Jesus, we have the opportunity for life. And how did that come about? Romans 5, God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what do we do? Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and in your heart you have faith that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Trusting with the heart leads to righteousness and confessing with the mouth leads to salvation. Finally, in chapter 10, verse 13, we get the same thing, the same message that we heard last week in the message of Joel. All who call on the Lord's name will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every single person needs forgiveness. And forgiveness is not something that is automatic. It's available and it's available to each and every one of us for us to turn towards Jesus, to repent and turn away from our sin. And if we are, then we are promised eternity. To be willing today to forsake everything and put our trust in him. And once we have this faith, here's the challenge is it cannot stop with us. We have to have a burden to share that faith. And before you tell me that you are not qualified to share your faith, because I know that is what most people respond, before you tell me that you're not qualified, I want you to listen to Amos. Because that's one of the unique characteristics of Amos. Look at what it says. If you've got your Bibles, keep open. Flip over to Amos chapter 7, verse 14. Amos answered Amaziah, I am not a prophet. Nor am I a prophet's son, but I am a shepherd and a trimmer of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from shepherding the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, 
prophesy to meet my people Israel. You see, the application that we can draw from this is that that God uses people like Amos. God uses ordinary people just like me and just like you to do extraordinary things. Amos did not consider himself to be a prophet. He did not consider himself to even be a prophet's son. He considered himself to be a sheep herder. It was essentially saying, I am the most unlikely candidate possible to take the message to the people of Israel. Maybe today, that's what you connect with, is you consider yourself the most unlikely candidate to share your faith. Let me tell you something today, two things. One, God calls whom he wishes. Think about that. God calls whom he wishes. And number two, God equips those whom he calls. The question is just whether we will be obedient to what God is calling us to do as a church. I loved that about the video from the We Are DR is the fact that they were saying yes. They were saying, yes, Lord, not only am I willing, but I will answer the call. We have to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. Amos's name literally means to carry a load, to carry a burden. Amos carried the burden to the people of Israel that they had to be prepared to meet God. They had to do the necessary work. We have to carry the same burden that Amos carried. Do you? I will tell you, I have this uh, recurring nightmare. I don't have it quite as frequently as I used to, but all the way through school, high school, college, and even when I was in seminary, I had this nightmare that many of you probably have had. It's a very common nightmare, but it's the nightmare of it is finals week, and I wake up and realize that there is a class that I never went to all semester. I don't know where the class is even located, and I've never met the professor for me to go and even talk to about why I never showed up for his or her class. And I wake up from that nightmare whenever I have it. I am in a cold sweat because I am unprepared for the moment. As much as I had that nightmare, it is nothing compared to not being prepared to meet God. When I went into ministry, I had somebody ask me a question and said, do you ever pray for God to give you a burden for the lost? And I'm telling you, in that moment, I realized I don't pray that. I may pray for the lost. I may pray for the least of these. But I very rarely ever prayed for God to give me a burden for the lost. Last week, what I challenged you when we read the prophet Joel is I challenged you, do you want to be stuck in the valley of decision? And many of you respond, you said, I do not want to be stuck. We will not be stuck. So here is our challenge for this week. If we will not be stuck, then I invite you to make this your prayer. God, give me a burden for the lost. Give me a burden for the least of these. Give me a burden for those who do not know Jesus Christ. 
as I have been preaching to you, you can't see behind the camera, but behind the camera are the open doors of our sanctuary. And I particularly had those open today because there's just cars streaming up and down North Henry Boulevard. I often come up into the, the narthex in the lobby during the week and we'll just look out and pray. Because what I know is two out of every three of those cars, they don't know Jesus. I don't want to stand before God and say that I didn't do anything to reach them. Do you have a burden for the least? Do you have a burden for the lost? Do you have a burden for those who do not know Jesus Christ? If not, I, join, I, I pray that you will join me this week, and that's our prayer. It's a bold prayer. It's a life-changing prayer. But if you will pray it, we won't be stuck. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we... We come in this moment and we pray, God, that we are able to make that our prayer. Help us to follow Amos' example and to have a burden, whether we are prepared for it or not, because we know, God, you would not call us if you would not equip us. That there are people who live in the neighborhoods and communities that surround this church They don't know you. Help us to not get so consumed with ourselves that we lose sight of that burden. Lord, I know it's a bold prayer for us to pray, but I pray that we have the courage Give me that burden. And help us to trust you as we take steps and move forward as a church. Because as much as we love you more than anything, we're thankful that you loved us first. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.